Nehemiah chapter 4. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fight for your families, for your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And today we're finishing a series of messages on fight for your family. Now we would like to start with the book of Proverbs chapter 22 in verse 6. A really, really well-known verse. It says, train up a child in the way that he should go in keeping with his individual gift or bent. And when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Now, if you have more than one child or grandchild, right? This is what we know about kids. It takes no time to learn. They're different. Amen. I mean, you can have kids, same parents, same home, treated the same way, but they are different. If you think those kids are going to be exactly alike, little, little cooker-cutty kids, you know, it ain't go, you ain't going to get no cookie-cutter kids, all right? They're all different. And, it, it, you know, as parents, it's wonderful. It's confusing, right? It's, it's, it's all of that. But what the Bible says is that you and I as parents, we're supposed to discern what their gift, what their bent is, and, and really discern what does God have for their life and then help them move in that direction. So you might have one child who's very, very musical. Another one's techie. Another one's more athletic. But what we need to do is discern what that child's gift or bent is and then help them move in that direction. So we love all our kids the same, but we do different things with each one of the kids because their gift, their bent, it's different. Right? And so we discern what that is and then help them move in that direction. In Jeremiah 1, the Lord, word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart and ordained or appointed you for a certain call. And I love that verse. I love that hearing that, wow, God has a plan and he has a purpose. And we want to get on board with that. And one of the things that um, really makes a difference is knowing that you don't have to wait until you're grown up to start fulfilling that plan, that um, his plan is for every day of your life. And so as parents to know, this is for my children, that every day of their life, God has a plan and a purpose for them. Then that stops us parents from just like tolerating the kids <laughs> until they get big enough to be good. Um, that God really wants them to be good from the start. And um, having that vision of God's purpose for them and God's plan for them is really important or you will not be able to endure the vision that they give you of, <laughs> I am a brat. <laughs> I want my own way. And, you know, that can totally distort your dream that you had when... Uh, Ladies, when you were carrying them in the womb and you were thinking of all the mighty, wonderful things we're doing. We had three sons, and then we had a daughter. And I have to tell you, when she, I was carrying her and before she was, when she was born, I had an envision of what my little girl was going to be like. And it was kind of sweet and compliant and all the wonderful, sweet things that, uh, that um, sugar and spice and everything nice. That really was what I had in mind for my little girl. Uh, I know that it's kind of a saying. You hear it all the time. Well, everyone's got to have at least one strong-willed child. Uh, I figured I had four of them. Um, every one of them kept, you know, the first one I thought, wow, 
I thought he, you know, our first baby, we were so proud, so excited, and, and he, he was just so amazing. I was stood in awe, and I didn't realize how much I stood in awe until a friend um, that we stayed at their house for a few days, she came home from the bookstore with a book and handed it to me. She said, I just thought you might appreciate this. It was James Dobson's The Strong-Willed Child. <laughs> I'm like, are you thinking my child is strong-willed? Somehow uh, my friend saw something I wasn't aware of, and I should have read it multiple times, <laughs> um, but I, you know, so the, the children kept getting stronger. I, I don't know what we were putting in them, but um, they, they all had an opinion. They all had strong wills, and, and, you know, here comes along Stephanie, where I think my expectation w was, I just was taken totally by surprise that she would follow in the footsteps and take it another step beyond. <laughs> of her big older brothers. And um, I mean, she just was born with an opinion. And she w w really wanted to be the leader and the boss and... and um, I mean, remember we tried to put her to bed and it just did not work. Oh uh, yeah, she was that age where the, she could climb out of the crib. I mean, there was no containing her unless you roped her down. And so, you know, she had to learn <laughs> to bedtime stay in the bed. And that's, that's, you know, some parents just seemed so easy, like, well, my child just goes to sleep. And I thought, well, good for you. <laughs> um, you know, what do you feed him? I was like, what's the key? How do you do this? And I thought one time it's like, I must not be consistent enough. Okay, so tonight, you know, we did, we went through the whole rigmarole, you're going to go to sleep, and now I'm going to lay you down, and we said our prayers, and we did everything, went through the whole checklist, and, and now, and I reminded her how she was going to obey mom and stay in bed, and because, you know, otherwise. And so she, I put her down to bed and went out the door, and then just because I was such a woman of faith, I, I sat on the stairway, I went down several stairs and sat there with a book to read to make sure she stayed in bed, and pretty soon I hear something, and oh, I look over the top of the step, and sure enough, she's walked out the room and was heading to her brother's room to play. And um, so I, I got her, and I brought her back in, and I said, remember, you know, the consequence was you were going to get a spanking if you got out of bed. So, you know, I gave her a spanking, loved on her, hugged on her, and put her back to bed, and, and um, then went back to my perch on the step, and pretty soon, there she came again. I'm like, oh my goodness, I must not have spanked her hard enough. And I said, honey, I love you. And you're going to stay in bed because you're going to obey because you don't want to get spanked and you want to do what's right. And I gave her a spank and put her, laid her back in bed, patted her back and sang a song to her. And, you know, and then I go back down the stairs and pretty soon I hear this. <laughs> and I thought, no way. And I stand up, and there she is on all fours. She's crawling out of the bedroom and crawling down to her brother's room. I mean, four times. She just would not quit. And I was like, what? And so, you know, again, I gave her a spanking and put her down. And that time I thought, I'm not taking any chances. I held her down till she passed out. She's <laughs> like, I sang Away in the Manger, Silent Night, Lullaby, I, and, you know, until, until she was it's gone. It's easy to have faith when they're sleeping. So pray when they're sleeping. <laughs> pray when they're asleep. She, she had this determination and... You know, and it, it just is a challenging, and you have to keep going back to God to, to get a vision. But I have to tell you, I was beginning to get a vision of 
of this girl's gonna be impossible, I can't control her when she's two and three, what am I gonna do when she's 13 and 14? And um, I was feeling pretty much discouraged and overwhelmed and defeated as a mom, and my vision of her was, I've got a brat. <laughs> I just have one of those. And, and so, you know, the one time, one Sunday morning when I was really desiring to get to church on time and, and here she, she um, I was get, got, got the dress out and was getting her dressed and she just pulls back and I think she must have been three or four. And she put on that, you know, how they get that stance where they kind of plant their feet like this and I am going to wear what I'm wearing. I'm going to wear my shorts. My, her play clothes that were dirty, and that's what she wanted to wear to church. And I know I'm, she, she just got in this thing of she was not going to wear whatever I said she was going to wear. And my first thought was, go nude. I don't care. <laughs> I just didn't, like, like you know, wearing a dress or short, I, whatever. You know those moments when it just feels like it's easier to just give in and let them have whatever they want and... At that moment, though, then I had this flash into the future of her as a 14-year-old and telling me what she was going to wear and what she was going to do and who she was going to talk to and what she was going to see. And, and I thought, man, you know, if I can't, I can't be a mom right now and, and lead her in a right decision, then how, it's not going to get any easier. And I just thought, okay, God, I need help. I have no idea what to do. How do I, you know, no one, I don't want to, I know spanking doesn't even really hardly work with her. And so it's just like, what is the, and God just dropped an idea in my heart and I got down on my knees so I could be eye to eye with her. And, and I said, Stephanie, you know that strong feeling you have inside you right now? And you could see she was, had a strong feeling because she was, <laughs> I mean, she was geared up, you know, and gearing up even stronger to, to, for battle and getting her way was what she wanted. And I, and I said, you know, um, that strong feeling you have is not to get you in trouble. It is some strong things God put in you so that you could stand against the devil when he tempts you to disobey mom and dad. So you can stand against uh, the temptation when others come around and say, well, you should cheat or lie or you should lie to your mom. You can stand there and say, no, I'm going to do it God's way. I'm going to choose what's right. And I said, God has given you a heart to want to know and love and serve God and do what's right. And then he's given you the strength in your character to stand up and do it in the times when it's hard. And I'm like, I'm getting inspired by this sermon. It's like, this is good. And you are such, you are made by God to be a good girl and to be strong enough to be good when it's difficult. And her eyes are just getting this big. She's like, I'm such a good girl. I'm so amazing. And, and she gets, gets over there and she gets her clothes on and we, we get dressed for church. And when we get to church that Sunday, it is the first and only Sunday where almost every single person she saw 
happen to compliment her on, oh, you look so nice today, you're so pretty. And she's floating around church with her dress Thank on and you. she's just being a beautiful little girl. And, and then, of course, when we get home, then I have to get her out of the clothes and into her play clothes. And, and I had to remind her what a good girl she was. Um, but it changed her perspective and it superly, majorly changed my perspective. And I started to, it, it rearranged my vision that, you know what? If I see her as a brat, if I see her as trouble, I am the mirror that she looks to to see, oh, what am I like? Yes. What am I like? What am I supposed to be like? And, and if she's just going on, on the sinful nature that she feels like, and if that's what I reflect to her every day as her parent, then that's what she's going to see. Oh, that's just me. I just... This is what I do, and mom and dad have to get along with, you know. But she, God gave me that vision of that she is going to be strong for God. And, and then it helped me in, in helping her direct it and turn it. And you, it was, she turned into, although any of you who know her, but when she was a teenager, we would look at each other and like, is she for real? She's like an angel in teenage clothing. <laughs> And, and it's not like she didn't have challenges and didn't have temptations and need correcting sometime, but it was there. It was, it was something that, uh, that um, got, took root in her. And, but first it starts with you, parents, that you get the vision from God that God doesn't make junk. He didn't make your kids to be brats, and, and, and they're not bent on hell. They're bent for heaven, and that's what we've got to see in them and plant in them. Secondly, we want to talk to you about using your faith for your children. Now, as Jesus is coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration, a group, there's the, his, he left nine of the disciples down on the bottom of the hill, of the mountain, and there's a man comes with a son who's been having seizures. And the disciples, they pray, and there's no deliverance, no relief. And Jesus comes down, and the man comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, this is what's happening, and, and if you can help, please help. And Jesus said to the man, he said, if you can believe, then all things are possible to him who believes. Now, theologically, they use this term, relational authority, right? So what it's saying is this, the closer you are to a person, the more spiritual authority you have in that person's life. In other words, I'm, I'm at one level when it comes to Jeannie and my kids, right? But I'm at a different level with a cousin and a different level with somebody that I, you know, all I do is know their name and we work together or something. The closer that person is to you, the more spiritual authority that you have in their life. And Jesus is saying to this father, you need to use your faith for your children. He's saying, if you can believe, he said, there's, there's help for your son, but you need to believe for that to take place. Right? So what we need to recognize is that we have authority and we need to use that authority when it comes to our family. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 where Paul is talking and he says, now, he said, you, are, you, you, you sanctify your spouse and you sanctify your children. Now, they, were, they use the word in the Bible, it, used, it says that the husband is sanctified by the believing wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. 
And it says, otherwise your children would be unclean, but now they're holy, literally sanctified. Now, what it means is this. When it says that they're sanctified, it means they are a target from heaven. Heaven targets your children. Heaven targets the, the spouse of, an unbel- of a, a believer. If that a spouse is unbelieving. You see, God doesn't want to just save one person out of a family and another person out of a different family. God wants to save your whole family. And once you get right with God, God's after your entire family. But what we need to do is we need to believe God for our family. Believe, use, use your faith and believe for your children and believe for your spouse if they're not right with God. Believe for your siblings. Believe God. Right? Use your faith. And again, the closer they are to you, the more spiritual authority that you have. When you realize how... how much God thinks about each of your child and has a plan for them and, and a purpose for them. And you see them as valuable, not just um, tag-alongs in your plan and your purpose in life, that they are, are going to be, they're, they're extensions. They're going to be, um, yeah, it just makes a difference. Uh, t- when I see families who just like, well, mom, dad's got a job, mom's got a job, we've got a purpose, and you kids are a little bit of a pain mm. because um, you, you're annoying, you are in the way, you're inconvenient, and um, you are missing it out because mm-hmm. eventually they will grow up and you will see the fruit of your labors. And if you don't labor towards the, the purpose and plan that God has, uh, you won't be able to enjoy some of the fruit that, that God has for them. Now, when uh, Joseph goes down to Egypt, his son, uh, excuse me, Jacob goes down to Egypt. His son Joseph has been there for a number of years. And uh, Joseph brings his two boys to Jacob. And Jacob begins to, to speak, and, and he says, Your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, they're mine. Like Reuben is mine and Simeon, they shall be mine. So those two boys come in, and here's what he does. He claims them for the kingdom of God. He just says, Your two sons, he said, they're going, to be, they're going to be mine, just like Reuben's mine, just like Simeon's mine. He said, the promises of God that God made to Abraham and to Isaac and to me, he said, those promises, they pass to those children, and those children are going to be part of God's plan of redemption in the earth, and God's going to use those kids, and I claim it right now in Jesus' name. That's basically what he said. Right? You need to claim your family. You need to claim your kids claim your grandkids, get out there, use your faith and say the faith that's in my heart, God's blessing on my life, it's going to pass down to my children. Right? Uh, the Bible says this in Malachi chapter 3, then those who fear the Lord talked with each other and the Lord listened and heard and a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who fear the Lord and honored his name. So when you're talking, God's listening. The Bible actually says God has it written down, all right? And God says, they'll be mine, says the Lord Almighty, in the day that I make, I make them my treasured possessions, I will spare them just, as a, just in compassion as a man spares his son who serves him. What you do, your prayers and the things that you do, they make a difference for your family. Now, in 1 Kings chapter 17, they've got the prophet Elijah. And he predicts, and he says, look, there's going to be no rain. There's going to be no dew 
these years until I say so. And there's three and a half years of, of tremendous drought. There's no rain. There's no dew. Now, Ahab, who's the king at the time, he has a servant by the name of Obadiah, who's basically the steward of his house. And the Bible says that Ahab, who was no one, no one gave themselves to wickedness like Ahab, the Bible says. He was the most wicked of all the kings. But his steward, Obadiah, the Bible says, feared the Lord greatly. And it was so well, Jezebel was, Jezebel's Ahab's wife, was murdering the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets, hidden them 50 in a cave, and fed them with bread and water during this time of famine. Now, Josephus, the uh, Jewish historian, in his book, Antiquities of the Jews, book 9 and chapter 4, he says that Obadiah fed those 100 prophets. He said, and he borrowed money to do it. I thought that was pretty wild, but he dies. He went to heaven. Elijah went to heaven. And now Elisha, who is Elijah's servant, is kind of like the prophet of the land. And it says that a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets came to Elijah saying, your servant, my husband is dead. And you know what your, that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditors are come to take my two sons to be slaves. Now, this is what Josephus says. Josephus said, this woman is the wife of Obadiah, the guy that hid a hundred prophets and fed them with bread and water, who Josephus said borrowed the money to do it. And now the creditors are coming. And, and, and in those days, you couldn't declare bankruptcy, by the way. They took your kids. They took your kids and made them indentured servants. And she comes and she says, look. She says, you know my husband. You know what he did. And now look, here come the creditors. And you know what, what, what the story says. The prophet said, well, what do you have? And she said, all I have in the house is a little container with some oil. And he said, go gather vessels, not a few. You and your sons. And when you get all those vessels, he said, go in your house and close the door. Take that oil and start pouring it. He said, fill them. Just keep filling. And you know the story. She filled them and filled them and filled them and filled them and filled them. And finally she said, bring me another vessel. There was no more. And she went and she said, what do I do? And he said, sell that oil. He said, pay your debts and live on the rest. Right? Obadiah got a miracle for his family after he was dead and in heaven. You might not realize it. But the things that you do, they have a powerful, powerful effect on your family. While you're alive and even after you've gone to heaven. Anthony Flew was born in England in 1923. Son of Methodist pastors. And they, they actually, when he turned 13, they sent him to a very, very prominent boys' school that was founded by John Wesley. Now, some of you know John Wesley but, uh, of him, but in the 18th century... He was the leading evangelist, along with George Whitfield, literally around the world. Founded the Methodist denomination, the uh, Wesleyan denomination. So they send him, their parents are pastors, they're praying for their son. They send him to what we would call like a Christian school, all right, founded by John Wesley. But at age 15, as he's attending the Christian school, he becomes an atheist. And he starts arguing with his friends and his teachers. 
in favor of atheism. Well, he is brilliant. Uh, he gets a scholarship to go to Oxford University. At Oxford, he joins the Circadic Club, where he actually a number of times debated C.S. Lewis. I remember who C.S. Lewis is, greatest Christian apologist of the 20th century. He, he would debate C.S. Lewis. He became the champion of intellectual atheists, right? wrote over 440 books and papers against the existence of God. And literally, without a doubt, Anthony Flew became the leading intellectual atheist in the world. You know, there's atheists that are just mad at God and spewing all kinds of stuff. But, but I mean, he was an intellectual atheist, right? Now, his parents are pastors. His parents are like praying and praying. And, and you know, here he is, PK, pan, you know, pastor's kid. You know, they always turn out bad. And somebody says, why? Because they play with the deacon's kids. That's why. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right. But I can, I can just kind of imagine, you know, people down the street, they're going like, what's wrong with that pastor Flew and his wife? I mean, their kids are an atheist. And man, he's not just an atheist. I mean, he's debating C.S. Lewis and he's writing books about atheism and why there's no God. All right. And, and, and their, their mom and dad are praying and praying and praying and praying. Mom and dad die. All right. But in 2007, Anthony Flew wrote a book. The title of the book is, There Is No God with No Crossed Out. When they came to, find, then they came to Anthony Flew and they showed him the DNA, the human DNA and its complexity, he said, oh my goodness, this could not possibly have happened by chance. This, was, this happened by design. And, and this, listen, this was like the Pope and Billy Graham becoming atheists, right? I mean, it was like the, the, this absolutely scandalized the intellectual, the world of the intellectual atheists that he had changed his mind. And then the appendix of the book is N.T. Wright, the theologian, arguing for the divinity and resurrection of Jesus. Now, I think through that book, Anthony Flew probably won more people to the cause of Christ and to Jesus through that book than he would have if he had, if he had been a pastor all of his life. You know what? His parents' prayers got answered. They got answered. Do you realize that in John 17, Jesus prayed for you? He said, I don't just pray for those that are here. I pray for those that are going to hear and believe because of what they say. Do you realize your prayers and the things that you do in faith, they live on way beyond you. And what you pray for your family, what you're doing today is going to affect your family way, way, way longer than you have any, any idea. If Jesus, Terry, and you die and they, we bury you in 25, 30, 50 years past, your prayers are still going to be having an effect. Just like Jesus' prayers are still having an effect on you and on me. Amen. And back in Jeremiah 1, the, the Lord was speaking to Jeremiah, but I, I think this is for you parents. This is a word from God to say, um, you get up, you stand up, you say to your children what I command you. Don't be terrified by your kids. I have made you a strength and a pillar for them. 
They may fight, uh, the, the world will fight against you, against your children, but they will not overcome you, for I am with you, and I will rescue you. Stand up and be the parents that God has called you to be. Your kids, do, listen, your kids don't need a friend. They need parents. They need parents. And if you will be a parent to them today, and see, when they grow up, they'll be your friends. I mean, that, that is the goal. You see, that, that your children will become like you, and when those kids are 25, 30, 35, 40 years old, they want to hang out with you. All right? See, don't think you've got to be their friend today. You need to be their parent today. All right? And we are living in a time when for the first time ever, there's never been a generation before, that did not need to go to older people to get information. All right? They can just get on that device and they can find anything that they want to know on that device. But there's never been a time when they needed more help interpreting the information that they can get Amen. today. And as parents, we need to rise up and we need to say, we are going to pass our faith on to our children and do everything that we need to do to do that.